0: This is the Dreadful Podcast on TV Podcast Industries. We're doing a rewatch of Penny Dreadful, Season 1. This is Episode 1, Nightwork. Welcome, fellow Penny Faithful. This is TV Podcast Industries. We're doing a rewatch of Penny Dreadful. We're looking back at seasons one to three before the launch of Penny Dreadful City of Angels in April. In this episode, we're going to be talking about episode one of the show, Nightwork. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, Penny Faithful. I am one of your other hosts, John. And we have a very special guest joining us for our discussions about Penny Dreadful. We have Ray from Into the Night, the Moon Knight podcast. Welcome, Ray.
1: Hi, how are you both? Uh, I'm very happy to be here, very excited to talk about Penny Dreadful.
0: Cool.
2: Yes,
1: our our time
2: traveller across space and time is, whilst he
0: has a glass of wine, we have a cup of coffee. Mm, Very disappointed, (laughs) but I don't really want to be drinking wine at 10 o'clock. No, no, that's true, definitely. (laughs) We'd truly be in the Victorian era for doing
2: that. It would be absinthe. We'd be sort of dripping stuff, water Mm. over sugar, Mm. and then strange things would happen. We definitely wouldn't be able to record a podcast on absinthe, John. No, absolutely
1: not. That did look delicious, actually. It did, didn't it? But we'll get to that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we certainly will. We certainly will. Uh, welcome aboard, Ray. Um, we have known Ray for a couple of years uh, as another podcaster doing a great podcast about Moon Knight, a Marvel Comics character. Uh, Ray, do you want to give a little overview of your, uh, of your podcast and, and what you do?
1: Yeah, I'm... Basically, we're based, or I'm based, I keep on saying in plural, there's mm-hmm. only one of me, but um, <laughs> based in Australia, a uh, big Moon Knight fan, uh, and we basically do anything and everything Moon Knight, so talking about the classic run, comic books uh, to the modern run, the current issues coming out, um, toy action figures, video games. Uh, and the up and coming TV show, which we're all very excited about. That yes, cracks. We are. Um, that cracked the internet for us last year. So, <laughs> uh, the announcement. So, no, no, very, very excited. And, uh, yeah, we have a, a nice community going around with, um, it's very, very fun to interact with like-minded comic book fans and, mm-hmm. and Moon Knight fans. Um, it's, it's a strange thing. It's a very niche market, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Moon Knight. Um, but it's, it's always amazing to see the, the level of fandom mm-hmm. that people bring to Moon Knight. Um, and I'm talking about, you know, rooms full of statues and, and books. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it's, it's very fun and very exciting. Um, so we, we come out every week. Um, uh, and yeah, we, depending on the phase of the moon, um, we, um, Base our shows on on whether it's a full moon, a new moon, <laughs> mm-hmm. different segments, yeah. stuff like that.
0: Yeah, and it's really interesting, isn't it? Because the character of Moon Knight is based a, kind of around Egyptology and kind of around some uh, some references mm. to that type of stuff. So seeing stuff in Penny Dreadful and and kind of connecting it with this character of Moon Knight, it kind of is is a good reason why Ray's involved in this podcast with us as well. Uh, there's some things in here that you'll probably recognise from some of the um, mythology behind Moon Knight as well, which I thought was interesting.
1: Oh, absolutely. My eyes actually lit up. I mean, we'll get to it as well when that, you know, that reveal kind of came to light. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm very excited. To, to. I did a bit of research as well because I wanted to be up to speed with my Egyptian, you know, mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, look, looking forward to it. We'll, we'll get into that soon.
0: Excellent. And finally, before we get into the main body of the podcast itself, right, where can people find Into the Night of Moon Night podcast?
1: Sure. Yeah, we're on all the, the usual social platforms. I... I don't include the likes of Snapchat mm-hmm. and
0: TikTok. I'm too old for that. So I, I don't you. know what the hell <laughs> that is. And even the disappears in a couple of seconds, I just can't abide by as a social platform. <laughs> I like longevity my yeah, exactly. social platforms. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so Facebook, Twitter, um, basically, uh, facebook.com slash ITK Moon Knight or Twitter, a handle is at ITK Moon Knight. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we've also got a webpage as well. So, uh, that's a little bit longer, into the night dot com. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you can, you can just search into the night and podcast and we should come up.
0: Absolutely. And I'm sure if you search Moon Knight at this stage, you guys have been around long enough. You should be able to find the Moon Knight podcast because it is the best, <laughs> probably only, but the definitely the best uh, podcast out there. Yeah. Uh, for the rest of us, if you are joining us for just Penny Dreadful, you can subscribe to us on tvpodcastindustries.com. We have many connections to all the places where we are. Uh, you can also leave a voicemail about your thoughts about any episode of Penny Dreadful or any of the shows that we cover. Go to our website and over on the right hand side, you can click a button and leave up to 90 seconds of your thoughts. If you want to go a little bit more in depth, you can email us to feedback at TV Podcast Industries, and we'll take your thoughts and leave them in our Penny for Your Thoughts feedback section. Yes. That was pretty good, wasn't it? Yeah.
1: <laughs> I like that. That's nice.
0: Yeah. John came up with that about three and a half seconds. Yeah, exactly. Before we recording, so uh, I like that. <laughs> Must do feedback.
2: Sort of. <laughs> yeah.
0: In regards to the podcast about Penny Dreadful itself, the way we're going to be releasing these episodes is first on Patreon, we're going to be releasing each of our four episodes uh, to our Patreon followers. So if you want to subscribe to us on Patreon... Go over to patreon.com slash TV Podcast Industries, and you'll get each episode before it's released to our main feed on TV Podcast Industries. We're going to discuss episodes one to four in that big podcast. And the way we're going to discuss it is we're going to talk about our big moment of each episode as we go through it. It's not going to be as in-depth as some of our podcasts. We're not going to talk about each episode for two hours, as we do sometimes. Uh, we're going to t- <laughs> try and stick to the major points that that reveal what's going on in the full season
2: this is going to be really tough for yes, me i must say because even just trying to pick out a big moment like it's so complex mm-hmm. sort of diverse intricate uh the penny dreadful series just picking out that one moment is like oh no but there are three of us so yep. we'll at least pick out mm-hmm. three big moments and we will have notes so we you know we will capture as much of the episode as possible but i think uh, even on a full podcast, it would be pretty difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, you could be there for like 12 hours, I Absolutely. would say.
1: A little bit of a misunderstanding here, guys. i blocked out about 12 hours
0: i thought we're gonna go i'm raring to go so. excellent excellent ray is recording into next wednesday I love yeah it. by the time we finish
2: we will be on the wine uh-huh yeah exactly <laughs> i like it that's a,
0: that's a good plan yeah. aim for wine time uh, let's get into episode one of the show Nightwork work is the name of the episode uh, a reference to the fact that ethan is being brought into this group getting his night work from sir malcolm uh, the episode was directed by j.a Biona, a very famous director nowadays known for his horror movie, The Orphanage, which is very well worth your time. His big Hollywood movie, I suppose, uh, is Jurassic Park Fallen Kingdom, the second or fifth sequel to the Jurassic Park franchise, I think, probably fifth, Uh, the most recent anyway, and he's already scheduled to direct the first two episodes of the Lord of the Rings TV series, so he's going to be over your neck of the woods, right? Close, anyway.
1: And rightly so. Mm -hmm. Beautiful (laughs) country, New Zealand. Yep. Australia, beautiful as well, Mm -hmm. although I think our terrain isn't quite suitable for Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. More like Mad Max. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's true. Happy to stay in New Zealand. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh,
0: the executive producer on the show is Sam Mendes. Good to just reference him here. The showrunner for the show, John Logan, uh, previously worked with Sam Mendes. He wrote some of the scripts for James Bond, for Spectre, for Skyfall. Um, he also wrote Star Trek Nemesis, which is kind of connected to the show that we're covering on on the podcast, um, Star Trek Picard. Um, so interestingly, there is a connection there with, with John Logan. But I think the clout that Sam Mendes brought to the show allowed John... John Logan to do what he's doing with the show. He may not have got it made if it hadn't been for having such a, an acclaimed director like Sam Mendes involved. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm.
2: And I think you can just see you can see a certain quality, can't you, running through uh, the show, sure. even even just down to the, the cinematography, mm-hmm. the the production design, the costumes. And um, it, it's really nice. But I think as well, John Logan just brings that contemporary sensibility to the victorian period which Mm. i i really like and you know it it doesn't feel um of its time it feels something fresh new um dare i say it contemporary it's just that they're wearing corsets uh, and top hats Uh, and i I really like that i I really like how he's able to bring and contemporize this world um i think Mm
1: -hmm. yeah i mean for me John Logan he came totally out of nowhere like I I had not you know known his association with Sam Mendes or anything like that mm-hmm. um watching shows like Game of Thrones um production the production values on those sorts of shows um were kind of the 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 benchmark mm-hmm. um for TV shows for me during that time and so when this came out it's like who is this John Logan guy yeah. Immediately, even from the the beginning, the theme with the music, um, mm-hmm. just the way the opening credits, I kind of knew it's like, oh, this is kind of very much like the production values of, of Game of Thrones. Yeah. So, um, it was very reassuring. And exactly as you say, John, uh, there is a contemporary sensibility to it, but, um, there, there still has, there still is a Victorian, um, old school feel to it. And yeah, I mm-hmm. love the, one of my notes was that the, the poetic script writing, um, the, the lovely, lovely lines for all the actors to um to deliver. So, yeah, it was um it was a pleasant
0: surprise. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. And John Logan writes the script for pretty much every episode of the show, uh, at least that we've seen so far. I don't think he has anybody else on board throughout the whole series. It's pretty much his vision that's being brought to life. John, do you want to tell us what he gave us with your synopsis for the first episode of Penny Dreadful Nightwork?
2: Sure. London, 1891. Vanessa Ives and her colleague, renowned explorer Sir Malcolm Murray, Recruit marksman Ethan Chandler to undertake a job with them. They try to recover Sir Malcolm's daughter from a group of vampires. They're not successful, but do recover an evil-looking creature which is covered in Egyptian hieroglyphics. Sir Malcolm enlists the help of foppish Egyptologist Mr. Lyle to decipher the hieroglyphics and a young scientist, Victor Frankenstein, to find any other clues in the gruesome body. Meanwhile, the police are investigating the grisly murder of a young mother and daughter who have been torn apart. Literally. Yeah, quite literally. <laughs> um, although that is probably the worst go- uh, way to go for the mother, that you die on the crapper, mm-hmm. effectively. Yeah. Uh, pull through the window. <laughs> what um, a way to open the series. Though, yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> um, and I did jump
0: as well, yeah. so it was it was always good. Yeah, any, any regular listeners to TV podcast industries know, despite the fact that John screams at the littlest things in horror he absolutely loves horror and this is just right in his wheelhouse where he's able to be terrified by tv
2: (laughs) yeah i recently screamed in um uh, harley quinn um Mm. the birds of prey Mm. movie yeah and i can't even remember what it was about now i just remember letting (laughs) off a loud shout in the cinema and going to myself was that that loud uh-huh. that probably the rose behind heard that it was um and toy oh, yeah. story 3 as well that gruesome horror movie uh that it is uh-huh. uh elicited a jump response from me as well at one stage uh-huh. teddy bears are evil <laughs> uh penny faithful <laughs> they are evil
1: i i guess it's a an obvious thing to say as well but they do horror really well on this show mm-hmm. um, yeah it It comes in like little bits here and there, I mean there's obviously that supernatural element, yep. but when you get that scare factor or you know it's kind of like a little bit of a trope when um someone turns around and they turn around again or um and there's someone right in your face or yep. in this instance there's a a really inhuman kind of movement like that woman just got pulled through the window yeah um it's It's really quite shocking and yeah. um yeah I, I think I think they do the graphic violence well if I can say that
0: definitely. <laughs> Definitely. For the first episode of the show, because it is the first one and because we're being introduced to most of these characters for the first time, what we're going to do for our main point is talk about one major character. Um, as Ethan is basically the point of view character for the audience, um, he doesn't really have a storyline for a lot of the episodes. I know that sounds like an odd thing to say, but he is the main character of the show in some ways for an audience who's looking back at the Victorian era. He's an American coming into England, seeing their lives and how they do things. There's even a point, I think, when somebody says, to, we do things that the way we do things here, get out of here, American kind of thing. So he is that point of view character. So we're not really going to talk much about him specifically in the first episode, but I think he'll probably come up in his reactions to things that go on uh, within the episodes. Um, So we're going to talk about the three main characters here. John, do you want to take our first one? We're going to talk about uh, Sir Malcolm Murray first.
2: Yes, Malcolm Murray, played by Timothy Dalton, uh, who incidentally played the hedgehog in Toy Story 3 as well, um, (laughs) the German hedgehog. Um, So there's a a, a quick little segue between those two things. To me, uh, I think he's not very sympathetic, this character. He is that classic... Um, Victorian explorer gentleman, mm-hmm. um, who has, has a very strong will here. I mean, it, it's very much, uh, the explorer, you know, the British Empire associations and around that Alan Quatermain, uh, figure, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I suppose recently with the League of Gentlemen, um, that was done that explorer version. So he, you know, he's, he's a, colossal figure um he has this massive house um you know he's well connected within um london society mm-hmm. but ultimately um i think for me in, in this episode it really comes into his own where they are going uh to this vampire nest um which i really like the fact that they have to go through an opium den um yeah, and me. and I, yeah. I i think that's another great thing about this show um it, it's that hidden it's that shadow world of victorian real society so it's the opium den it's the drug taking i, I think okay. in in episode two we have the pornography yeah um and you have the the illegal blood sports in in episode four all, all these uh very highfalutin uh members of civic london society yet they would go and regularly take uh, opium and and to get to the shadow world of a vampire's nest and the superstition around that they have to travel through the, the kind of shadow world of Victorian society for what is a, a really nice kind of fight down in sort of this basement area. Mm-hmm. Um, they've recruited Ethan Chandler and, um, you know, he, he's he's wondering what the hell these people are doing. Uh, you know, he's been warned about what he may see. Uh, and you have kind of Vanessa Ives uh, here played by Eva Green sort of uh, along as well. Uh, but the two of them very kind of, If, if I can say it, comfortable in, in this world, they know what to expect. And I Mm -hmm. like seeing Ethan's expression as these, these three kind of, um, I suppose valets of the, of the vampire come to greet them and. You, you have a great fight, um, down here in, in the basement. Uh, and I love that Malcolm Murray has his own needle, shall I say, that comes from his cane to take yeah. down that lead vampire in the nest. And um, there's a great moment, actually, uh, where the camera pans back, uh, behind the shoulders of, of the vampire sort of towering over Ethan. Uh, and you see the strength of it is really nicely done. Uh, and ultimately, um, He is Malcolm Murray, though, is the one that takes him down, but aided very ably by uh, Vanessa Ives, who seems to have this inner steel uh, herself mm-hmm. but um you know he he he's kind of running this i suppose i'm calling it a company uh sort of yeah. i suppose ultimately what we find is he he's the one in charge in, in a sense at least in terms of dosh um and obviously for uh the aims of it which is to to find um you know and, and look for his his daughter mm-hmm. who has been um you know kidnapped i suppose by by um the the vampire Um, but this is not the right vampire she's not in this nest and again another little sort of nice link back i think with mina murray his daughter Mm -hmm. it is um sort of direct reference to bram stoker's dracula Mm -hmm. in that in that it's mina harker and it's jonathan harker's fiancee um, but her maiden name in the book is Murray, so it's taking it that kind of step before, um, which is really nice. Um, and of course, Vanessa Ives is kind of his daughter's childhood friend, I think, as well. But I think we really see that there's probably a complication here. Mm-hmm. And again, I think you know you get the feeling with Sir Malcolm, he's searching for his daughter, that there's some kind of bond. But I think you really do get the sense that you know his relationship with his daughter is not quite that good really yeah. um across the seasons and and it's complicated and it's complicated between uh Mina and Vanessa as well. So I think I think Timothy Dalton plays Malcolm Murray really nicely. I mean he's he's just so unsympathetic. He's very direct and to the point. You don't get the sense of him being a loving father to his daughter or indeed to his son that there is that Standoffish, uh, element to him. Yeah. Um, and it, it, you kind of wonder how strong this company, or uh, that forms is because, um, you know, you, you do get an uncomfortable sort of relationship forming between him and Vanessa who are the main people here kind of driving this but um great to have such a, a good actor in Timothy Dalton I think he he's really good in, in, in this and I, I love his, his valet uh Samembe mm-hmm. as well even though he doesn't really say too much here but again I think that links to this sort of I suppose the uncomfortable notion of colonialism, you know, how has Sembe come into his, his Mm employee and this idea of, um, sort of, I think it's like black capitalism and exploitation. Um, you know, but I, I think Sembe is really nicely done. Like that quiet grace that he has as well, um, kind of speaks a lot. and, and, Interestingly, Malcolm does seem to put an awful lot of trust in him. Certainly at this stage, so yeah. that relationship is is kind of interesting to to me as well. Even though Samembe maybe doesn't feature um uh, as extensively as the other characters mm-hmm. as well, so I suppose he's the central point of this company mm-hmm. ultimately.
1: Yeah, he, um, I find Sir Malcolm quite a, a quite a complicated character because um, it could have. So easily being him, uh, being a, a, a guy driven to look for his daughter and, and that's it. And there's yeah. nothing yeah. that he needs to. What, what you mentioned, John, and what really does make him interesting is that he's doing this almost. So I, I kind of pitted him like a mix between Quartermain and, and Captain Ahab. You know, he's yeah, so yeah. driven, um, to, to, to hit this goal. But at the same time, we do find later on, and there are little tidbits along the way that his relationship with his daughter isn't, ideally, exactly. isn't the best. So it's like, why is he so driven to do it? Is it this competition or this kind of, um, drive that he has, which he's picked up in his travails in in Africa and, and expeditions? Exactly um that has kind of informed his um motivation to do it mm-hmm. and he's kind of lost his way a bit because yeah as you say with his son with his wife i mean he's not the ideal no. one person. person yeah. um but he is very good to have i think in this team he he's rock solid as mm-hmm. you say he's uncompromising um i've got i love this um this little quote that he puts on i'll, I'll put it here uh he says to Ethan Chandler uh, don't be amazed by anything you see and don't hesitate that is just such a – that was yeah. so cool because mm-hmm. we we are coming into this world with Ethan, and we don't know what the, what is happening. You yeah. know, we don't know what is going on. We've never seen his nest before. And uh, Ethan's going in cold. He meets Vanessa, uh, and he meets Sir Malcolm. And the first thing they say is, look, can you handle a gun? Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to go in this thing. Um, just be ready to shoot. You know, yeah. if you yeah, have yeah. no compunction to kill, um, here we go. And don't hesitate. And I find that line really cool because um, – so Malcolm and Vanessa they've obviously experienced and and come across these creatures before mm-hmm. but um but they show a, a real steel to them and um and further also to your note as well John about Vanessa that that scene with a creature coming up um up over Ethan mm-hmm. that was one of my favorite scenes yeah. um there's just this unseen power from Vanessa. She mm-hmm. has this thing. She's so mysterious yep. and it's peppered throughout the whole series and in episode 1 as well. She seems to know stuff. Um she's a lot more obviously the opening scene is is testament to that. She's um meditating in front of a crucifix. The mm-hmm. spiders come up. Um but yeah, she's very kind of mysterious and the fact that she could go look this creature in the eye and it backs down to me that i mean that was a really big wow moment and i love
0: that sort of stuff yeah that's a moment when you know you're going to need to watch vanessa ives isn't it and one of the things i really like about malcolm is that he is a very stereotypical character in in the victorian times you know that there was these explorers that came back from their foreign travels and effectively were knighted immediately and then they lived in the land of privilege from that point onwards without having a character like malcolm here this company could not possibly be formed and he Mm goes the reason why they Take Ethan is because he's effectively looking for money. He's on the run. They he needs money, and they they need a gun hand. So they take him on. The reason why they get Victor Frankenstein on board is because. As they say, he has the heart of a poet and the bank account of one, too. So they get him on board Mm. because Malcolm has the money to pay for it. Um, I really like that it all circles around Malcolm. He needs all these people and he has the money and willingness to do it. But they also play into the fact that he is an explorer and a hunter throughout the world. He's gone on these hunts many times and now he has to do one in search of his daughter, whether they have a good relationship or not. What comes across? Often with Malcolm is it's still his daughter. It's still the person he has to save. He can't just leave her and walk away. So, no, but it, I,
2: I think there's. I think to to raise point as well. I think there's an inner explorer within him, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. he he talks in a later episode about the Holy Grail, which is the source of the Nile, and it was it was this obsession, um, and it, it's it's now that he's trying to follow that that river of superstition uh to these unusual creatures that he knows are there to find out more um and i i think that's really uh interesting i think as well not that I'm drawn to Malcolm Murray but as a, a geographer mm-hmm. you know the Royal Geographical Society it it you go in there and you see all these people that have done it, exploration back in that time and it was certainly founded around uh, that that kind of element it so it, there's an uncomfortable relationship here with that subject and i suppose british exploration mm-hmm. back in the victorian period um but all all these you know the the naming of mountains and and the naming of rivers finding victoria falls you know mm-hmm. the fact that this um you know a waterfall a huge waterfall uh on the border of uh zimbabwe and botswana happens to be called victoria falls after um you know a a queen that that reigns so many uh miles away it is just kind of slightly um so it's slightly sort of grating in a sense <laughs> but it's kind of that's what they did and i find that immensely kind of interesting that that kind of
0: element to this yes, absolutely I think. absolutely i know we're going to talk a lot more about malcolm murray as the series goes on uh, that's his main introduction though to the show uh, ray do you want to take us on to our next major character in the show
1: yeah i i chose i was just um just fascinated, I think, with the Vanessa Ives character. Mm-hmm. Um sh- Straight from the get-go, the opening scene, as I mentioned, and it, it's cyclical as well. I mean, her um appearance in the first episode ends with the same thing. She's back praying in front of the crucifix, and you have this, obviously, some sort of de- demonic influence with these spiders coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, she gets a lot of airplay, I think, in this episode, which is really good because, uh, as you mentioned, Derek, um, Ethan Chandler is a is the POV, but yeah. um, with Vanessa we we get so many like hints and clues as to what she may be capable of. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, I find that just very intriguing, and it's a, it's a nice little technique, obviously, for for the writing to keep people baited, mm-hmm. you know, with characters that are you know not totally fleshed out, uh, and. Eva Green, she does a fantastic job all throughout, I think, all three seasons. Yeah. Um, She really brings an A-game. She invests totally in the character. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and I can say that about all the the actors, actually, as well. Um, uh, Great performances all around. But, um, yeah, as mentioned with with John, I find a a few moments for her – um, which really did pinpoint it. First time when she comes across, um, Ethan Chandler, she does almost a Sherlock Holmes esque observation of him. Absolutely. So she's very intelligent, very observant. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that because you know that she's. Um, you know, she's come prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, and also then in the, in the nest, um, when she takes, well, she, she stares off that creature, mm-hmm. um, a big moment for her, but she says a lot of stuff as well. Um, and there's one thing that she does say to Ethan Chandler. There's a scene in the first episode when she's talking about the demi mm-hmm. and yep. she's got the cards coming out and, uh, Ethan, Ithlin- Ethan says something like, um, what do you seek to escape? And she says, perhaps the same thing you do. We all have our curses. Mm-hmm. And that's very kind of important because yeah. she comes up with these sorts of observations again and again, not only with Ethan, but she says it also to Victor Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. So she seems to know a lot more. Then you know, then she should know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And again, that just lends itself to making her quite an interesting character. Yeah, yeah.
0: without a doubt. Yeah, yeah, like she was probably the linchpin of the show at the time. You know, um, Timothy mm. Dalton was a former Bond, uh, but had only done some some minor roles in some things in the past. He'd done some major movies after that, but. Getting him on TV was quite a big a big moment for them. But Eva Green was kind of at the height of her stardom when this show started and continued in that stardom. Josh Hartman, who plays uh, Ethan Chandler, um, he didn't have a massive movie career either. So I think the first poster that was released for Penny Dreadful at the time was Eva Green because she's such an intriguing character on her own, and I think you definitely tell that. Everybody is looking to see who this character is from the first moment she's on board. That that first scene with Ethan where she's saying to him, you know, um, I can see you have bad shoes, bad trousers, but an amazing watch. So you come from privilege, but you don't have any money, basically. So she can cut him down instantly just by a look, you know.
2: Yeah, she was also in a bond uh, as well. So, again, part of this alumni. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I completely agree that that line, we all have our curses, don't we, um, is probably the line that I would think would sum up the, the first season, because mm-hmm. it, she's talking in terms of with, with Ethan Chandler. And of course, with these murders happening, there is the suggestion that Ethan is involved. Uh, in this um you know it's kind of ruled out that it's vampires because they're not drained with blood there's a suggestion that these murders are um possibly jack the ripper yeah. again linking all to, into all this sort of gruesome loveliness of victorian london mm-hmm. um and you know effectively the new york of its time so we know that he's got issues and you're wondering as well what are hers Um, mm-hmm. you know we, we want to know what a superpower in a sense is i feel like she's a conduit uh, of some you know that's why she can do the 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 seance uh later on in episode two you have the tarot cards but she feels things she gets the you know she can link to to mina um uh, that we see as well and yeah. um, but then she also comes to to malcolm in this episode which is really nice where you suddenly see her sort of transformed into blood red eyes and and, and vampire fangs mm-hmm. um but I, I think that they, they, they've all, you know, Victor has got his curse. Uh, you know, he's been cursed, he's been touched by death, mm-hmm. uh, in, in a sense, and he wants to overcome that. You know, Malcolm's, is it's that empire exploration. Yeah. um you know, Victor, as I say, death, but that god complex. Mm-hmm. Um you have even Sembe, maybe in terms of that exploitation, maybe he was involved in selling his fellow tribes people, you know, that kind of thing that happened mm-hmm. um, and, yeah. you know, that exploitation yeah. um, of, of those relationships amongst, or divisions amongst tribes yeah. that, that was done by mm-hmm. white Europeans, so e- even Vanessa, you know, it, there is a conceit to her as well, mm-hmm. I think um, in this, they, they've got their curses that are in reality, but probably um, Vanessa's goes deeper yeah. uh, a bit than that,
0: along with Ethan and in uh, that there is a superstition element to it. Here. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the most interesting things about Penny Dreadful as a show as a whole is that none of these people are good people. You know, it comes across quite nah. quickly that none of these people are good people as such. They're just bent together. And I think that's really... Evident with Vanessa. She's bound here. She has to go on this journey with Malcolm because it was her friend. And there's some transgression, something that she's talking about that isn't said. Something about Malcolm that we don't know about in his past. But we know the two of them, regardless of money, regardless of what's going on, and regardless of what what supernatural elements they find, they will continue with this mission to save Mina until the very end, effectively. Definitely.
1: There seems to be like a redemptive um, element to it for Vanessa. Mm. Um, As you mentioned, Derek, yeah, one of my points for, the main points for Vanessa is this transgression, which Mm -hmm. she drops. And she mentions again and again in in the episode. So it's all about what did she do? What has she done to Mina? Um, Why does she want to redeem herself? Yeah. Um, And and so that's one of actually the main crumbs for her because it, it directly, he links her to her relationship with Malcolm, uh, Sir Malcolm, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, uh, it's um yeah, it's quite interesting.
2: Can I just say as well, at the start where the spider comes down from the cross and kind of almost like rears up to her on her hand, it's just like kind of really awesome shot it is absolutely. i don't think i could actually stay there with a steady hand
0: as a spider did that but nonetheless <laughs>
2: um i thought that was a really cool kind of shot actually
0: but even but even overall the, those the two comparatives of this character when she's alone in her room um praying and she she feels like she's fervently praying to to god effectively yeah. to save her from all the things that she's experiencing it's just that fragility between those moments when she's alone versus that kind of confidence she has with everybody else around her She knows more than everybody else when she's in a room with any other person. But when she's alone, she seems just completely fragile and breakable. Um, She seems to want to be saved from all of these things she's experiencing. That's what seems to come across in that first episode. I think that's just makes her such a fascinating character to watch. Definitely. I'm going to take us on to our final major character in the show, uh, Victor Frankenstein played by Harry Treadway. We're speaking about Harry Treadway at the moment over on Star Trek Picard because he plays one of the, uh, one of the Romulan villains over there now. And he's he's oh, playing cool. magnificently uh, yeah, on that show. He's nice. really good. It's, it's just, it's interesting to see this actor at a, at a much younger age now, uh, five or six years ago, playing this Incredible character of Victor Frankenstein. So, this entire show is a total love letter to Penny Dreadfuls and to horror stories from the Victorian era all the way throughout the 1900s, late 1800s into the 1900s. And the character of Victor Frankenstein is our first character, really, that we're introduced to that I think most people watching the show will know instantly from the name. They'll go, Frankenstein, I know. Victor Frankenstein, that must be the guy that created the monster, right? Okay, right. So we know him instantly. And I think they just knock you off balance with this character because you feel with his youth that he hasn't started his progression towards reanimating corpses and um, that's all we really know about victor frankenstein if you think back before this show right think about your knowledge of the character you don't really know much you know he created the monster and you know the monster was chased down with pitchforks and fire and that's kind of it there's no real depth to the character you know he existed uh, in that world and in that universe whereas what we have here is this brilliantly played character who is just desperate to pierce the veil between life and death. I love the the uh, poetry of that line as well. Um, This concept of this scientist who is invited by Malcolm into this kind of explorer's group of scientists, but has total disregard for it because he feels this idea of exploring things that already exist, exploring mountains or going out and looking at space, those things don't interest him at all. The only valuable science is bringing people back to life and allowing life to become eternal. I think he's fascinating in those moments, especially when he's invited into this circle and doesn't want anything to do with it. All he wants from Malcolm is the money to be able to pursue his actual goal.
2: Yeah. Well, he says he explores the difference between life and death. And he has that great sort of um, conversation with with Malcolm in in the explorers club and he says you know that's my river my mountain and mm-hmm. where he will place his flag so it, it it's really interesting um you know and, and again i think we we see that he's a little um you know later on in, i think it's in episode 3 where we kind of get a bit of a flashback to his early life um we we see this um kind of lovely difference between um, whether it's science and art or he, he talks about science and superstition walk hand in hand oh, I think that's Malcolm Murray's line to him which is really uh, an interesting take and and kind of as you say coming back to say Shelley this idea of the, the new technology of, of electricity and this idea of being able to reanimate um, the possibilities that that science provided in the world but how that could be used by authors or artists Mm -hmm. um or or poets or whatever to either go against it to try and counter it or to embrace it to see how they could develop a new kind of story i think is is fascinating as well and i think that really lies here with victor uh frankenstein's character Mm mm-hmm
1: yeah I love how he um is not just your run of the mill kind of scientist doctor. Mm-hmm. He does have that inclination towards the the poetic as well because for me he is really like your he is your typical artist you mm-hmm. know he serves a higher purpose yeah. um he seeks patronage from um these these people like Sir Malcolm, but he doesn't like that club. He doesn't like that society at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, he looks yeah. so uncomfortable in that club, you know. <laughs> yeah. And when he was speaking to Malcolm, he just shot him down. Like mm-hmm. he was just so intense. Like I am. I am pursuing something far more important than you. Absolutely. You know, yeah. That was yeah. basically what he was saying. Yeah. And um and so he he would obviously take his money because mm-hmm. he needs it for his research. Yeah. But yeah, so I find him really fascinating in the sense um and again we see yeah later on him um uh, with his favorite um poetry or literature that mm-hmm. he goes so he he does have that that um uh, the heart of a poet. Yeah.
0: In him as I say I do love the the line from Malcolm the heart of a poet and the bank account to match it I think it's uh it makes yeah. total sense for yeah. this character <laughs> I must say the makeup on this actor on Harry Shredway where he where he's got the kind of bloodshot eyes and, and massive red bags underneath it showing that he is so totally consumed by this pursuit that he has to bring a corpse back to life that he hasn't slept in months it looks like mm. you know and, and when he is dolled up in his in his uh, his beautiful tuxedo going into this he doesn't look any better it doesn't it doesn't improve him at all yeah. he still looks like he he has just rolled out well he hasn't rolled out of bed because he hasn't gone to bed it looks like he's just i've got to do this i've got to get there and maybe i'll be able to secure the funds that i need to do this but it kind of leads on to that moment where he goes back to his hidden lab you realize he's being followed we'll talk about that next episode but he goes back to his hidden lab and this is our victor frankenstein we have that moment very similar or i suppose staged quite similar to what we've seen before we have the power going out, we have the lightning strike and we have this corpse that disappears in the room and then suddenly reappears in the corner cowering. Um, I think this is just a beautifully put together and beautifully produced scene because in the past, this has ended with that, with that, I suppose, iconic moment where you have Victor, Victor Frankenstein screaming "It's alive" to the to the skies. Whereas here mm. we have this beautiful music by the uh, the composer uh, Abel Kerszeneski, um, it it's just beautiful, underpinning the sadness of this idea of this corpse who suddenly appeared to life with no knowledge of who it is, what it is, no knowledge of its yeah. history or past cowering in the corner trying to work out what's going on uh in its life and you have victor approaching him trying to calm him and trying to calm him down uh, and bring him into the world again i just think it's a, a fascinatingly put together scene and it does play into stuff in the future it's really beautiful that first interaction between the two and as you
2: say i think the music is amazing i i think even just quickly on the music mm-hmm. i think the it, is fantastic it, it's it's rich it's sad and you know the opening titles as well i mean I'm, i sometimes get drawn into the music it adds that additional layer of emotional connection to to the piece and you really feel um this the fear in um what becomes proteus mm-hmm. um and uh the, the the fear and the loneliness at coming into this world uh, is, is really good. Yeah. I love the touch as well. That as he's alive, then all the stitching starts to bleed. It's mm-hmm. just a nice little detail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you see him on the table, and uh, it's all stitched, and then he's got he's kind of just covered in blood, sort of running down from the stitches, yeah. which is a really nice touch. Uh, it's a clever amazing. touch in the yeah. same way as changing how that first interaction of Frankenstein and his monster uh, and even just the fact that, you know, he realized it, I've created a monster. Uh here it's he doesn't believe that at mm-hmm. all. It's that he now wants to sort of bring him forward into this world. Mm-hmm. He's he's combated death in that sense. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I um I'd love that that end scene as well. It was really Really well put together, as you say. And, and Derek, I know we've had conversations like years ago. I think it was during the Daredevil, um, Netflix show about mm. music and how music can really make or break a series. Absolutely. And Penny Dreadful is fortunate enough to have brilliant music. Um, mm. it just really does, um, Tug at the heartstrings, and it's very emotional. Yeah. Um. With with the final scene, there, I don't know about you guys. I found it really good, exactly as you said. Mm-hmm. Um. But there was so much tension for me as well. I was just waiting for that creature Proteus to to snap or something, you know, yeah, because it, because he's essentially inhuman, mm-hmm. right? And and he's just come to life, and you just don't know what he'll do. Absolutely. So although there was this very high level emotional uh scene with them kind of communicating with each other i was just left on the edge of my seat just going oh gosh something better not happen you know something violent better not happen i'm not prepared for this (laughs) so i found the the ending really really effective in that sense and they kept that tension up um, and and i'm glad they ended yeah with that
0: absolutely ending with the line i am victor frankenstein you know because he is he is now the character of victor frankenstein that we all Recognize from uh, Mary Shelley's novel. So, um, quickly, finally on the music, I suppose. Just to point out, we watched four episodes of this over the last week and not once did I ever feel like skipping either the opening or closing credits on this show. The yeah. music is so beautifully together. It's even, you know, after that scene of the I am Victor Frankenstein, there is a full credit sequence and I watched the whole thing because the music plays into it, 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 it or plays out of the episode and into this, these beautiful credits. So a fantastic job by Abel Kurzaneski uh, for this episode. And um, I think that's it for our main points. We always talk a little bit longer than we expected. So um, guys, any notes on the first episode? episode of the show
2: yeah for me i just want to mention the flamboyant mr lyle who oh, yes. is the head of the department of egyptian and obsidian as- antiquities yeah. of which it's really just egyptian as he says um i i love this character um so much uh flamboyant foppish uh you name it mm-hmm. you know he 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 drives the the idea of the uh what with the hieroglyphics you know mm-hmm. bringing in uh Amunet Amun-Ra um this idea of uh this blood cure um or as they describe it a blood curse and um, from the Egyptian book of the dead mm-hmm. um and the the afterlife so you know I I love him being pulled
0: in here um, for sure. And Absolutely. I love his response to when he's being dragged into it by, by Malcolm, where he's going, this is urgent. And he goes, there's nothing urgent about Egyptology. Over <laughs> yeah, 2, exactly. <laughs> um, no. just so good. And even just, you know, the,
2: the skin, um, of, of Of the vampire when um Victor is kind of doing the autopsy on him, and it 's like this um skin or and the plates of an insect, mm-hmm. and I was just thinking of the scarab beetle, given that he has those beetles there um in in his office mm-hmm. um because they're they 're good at stripping the flesh Um oh, so yes. again I, even in, in the comfortable surrounds of the the british museum it 's kind of the, the <laughs> there 's this kind of little bit of grotesque uh yes. being brought out which is is really nice um but i love mr lyle mm-hmm. um i i think actually some of the supporting characters as well are are just so strong and have their impact in the show uh, and he is certainly one of them for yeah, me absolutely
1: yeah he he's a really big character i think for me as well he brings a lot of um relief to yeah. the show when there's mm-hmm. a lot of tension, um, very likable immediately yeah. as well. Uh, in- interesting again, um, notes I compared Vanessa's interaction with him. Um, she's very standoffish towards him. She kind of almost shuts him down, mm-hmm. um, every time she doesn't, doesn't have any time for any of his, uh, you know, exuberance about things. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I love his, 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 um, dialogue as well. One quote I put here was he's talking about papyri. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It sounds like something eaten by little Persian boys. <laughs> just yeah. Like, exactly. Just, just crazy, crazy kind of stuff. And, yeah. um, just going also, Derek, a note about, uh, Victor Frankenstein. Um, he's so driven, as you said, with the makeup and all that. And yeah. The only thing that really, um, brings him out of his, um, kind of stupor is when he sees that, Inhuman body of that vampire. That's Absolutely. the only thing that really gets him. He wants to get those, um, Sir Malcolm and Vanessa away from his autopsy or, or his studies, mm-hmm. but she unsheaths the, um, the corpse of this vampire and only then does he actually go okay and he's straight onto it and he starts um, dissecting it
0: yeah Yeah, absolutely I love I love his description of that where he's saying well either we have a person who's 2000 years old and put hieroglyphics all over themselves and developed an endoskeleton (laughs) to cover their bodies or and and sharpened their teeth or we have something else (laughs) I love that he is totally scientific about it he is going to investigate this thing because it's massively intriguing for him but I like that he gives them the option to say well maybe that's what it is maybe it isn't something supernatural Mm. but obviously he's he's in from there on and um, one final thing that i just wanted to say about the episode uh, a lot of the f- production for this show as it was a co-production that was done between um, sky europe and showtime in the us a, a tv channel and um, they did a lot of production in dublin and ireland where myself and john are, are based and um, it's fascinating at times seeing some of the uh, buildings that they used in the show because dublin's a very small city population population's only about one and a half million people uh, and a lot of these buildings are places we walk past every day they've just been dressed so well yeah. to look like the from the victorian area but there's times when you're going oh i had my lunch over there last friday and right beside <laughs> where where that scene is taking place so it's it's kind of fun to, to yeah have no, well it, well. it is good fun mm-hmm. yeah but brilliant production design overall
1: did uh you find it detracting in any way to have so such a recognizable building uh architecture around weirdly it's not
0: like I, I literally used to work yeah. right beside the place where um sir malcolm's offices or his, his his house is uh, i used to work right beside that and walk past that every day for about seven years and there's kind of a, a bit of pride that it's still able to be used um, to form part of the Victorian era on the show, and it's so it's so well dressed. Have a look at the extras for the for the series; they show you how uh, the green screen was used and how how much work was done by the digital effects people to change oh. what is a very contemporary location uh, and just take the element that is uh, victorian and and put it into the victorian setting it's fantastic yeah and it, it,
2: it's a, a lot of the stuff a lot is around dublin castle mm-hmm. as well and uh, and the thing is is it, it's the interesting thing is think you see it in this and you kind of go that. Feels more real that there would be some kind of life around it. Um, whereas obviously now it's more of a tourist attraction. <laughs> and so you, you can you know, Dublin Castle was used for a purpose, um, and now it's more of a, an attraction in a sense, and it, it's like so you see it being full of life with with markets, and you kind of go, that f- feels like real it feels like life is going on there rather
0: than just a visit now Um, i will say to to answer ray's question more Appropriately, I suppose. Dublin Castle is used for about six different locations yeah. in the show, and they literally oh. just move the camera around a bunch of times uh, to use the different locations. But it, that is a little bit distracting at times. You kind of go, "Well, mm. uh, you know, London may be small, but it's it's literally not a market uh, right beside a <laughs> person's house." Yeah. Um, but but it, it, I, I think it's still a, a bit of pride. At least you know it's a very short tour if you want to do the Penny Dreadful tour of Dublin. Yeah,
2: and I, I think they use the Botanical Gardens, the yep. National Botanical. Gardens as well, uh, and um, Dublin Zoo in in Phoenix Park
0: as well. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. That's it for our discussion on episode one of Penny Dreadful Nightwork. We'll be back later this week with our discussion about episode two of Penny Dreadful Seance. Here's a quick message from Into the Night, a Moonlight Podcast. Bye.
1: Hi. I'm one of the high priests of Conchu Ray and I have the sacred privilege of providing you, the loony listener, with a podcast honouring Marvel's very own Moon Knight. So join me and a host of others at Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or support the show by becoming a Patreon member. Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast.
0: It's time to get your Conchu on.